0: A child that loves playing with Legos? Do they love Minecraft? Well there's a good possibility they have a high spatial ability, which is required for someone who becomes an architect. We're fortunate to have Robin Popa as our guest. Robin has worked for Fluger architect, the San Antonio office since 2006. Her experience includes master planning, facility assessments, programming design, production, and construction administration. Her recent experiences include projects for five of the largest ISDs within our local area. Robin has worked on many award-winning projects, including the Piper Ranch Middle School for Comel ISD, which recently won awards for design, sustainability, planning, school transformation, and is a finalist for the 2019 20 Class Award. So Robin, thank you so much for saying yes to me. I um I know Robin through um one of the advisory boards that we serve on together in the school district and have seen her expertise because her firm is part of a partnership with many, many districts, as I talked about in my opener. They're they're very well respected. I like she's also a female architect, so that's always inspiring for the STEM uh, field for young girls. And so I wanted to invite her because, as all of you know, I have my clients do informational interviews with people in career fields they're considering. Sometimes it's hard to find someone, and I invited her in because I love how she got into her field. Um, it's hilarious, and I think something that will resonate um, with many young adults. So welcome, Robin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about your career story. Obviously, that's why we're here. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how you got into your field and where you are today.
1: Okay. That's a, that's a really big intro, so got the, the bar set high for me there. But um, I have always just been interested in design and building and drawing and the arts um, all, ever since I can remember from being very little and growing up. Um, but when I was in high school was right around the time that all of the medical shows started coming out on TV, so ER, Chicago Hope. Um, So that was very influential as far as like seeing uh, like a constant bombard of that type of media. Um, My parents are also in the medical field. So my mom was a nurse and my dad's a pharmacist. So it was seemingly all-encompassing and it just seemed natural at the time. Well, that's what I should do. I should be something in medicine. And so I went to school intending to be pre-med and i uh eked it out for a semester, and really wasn't very happy, but I wasn't willing to admit it to anybody, mm. most of all myself mm. and Then, as it so happens, I was um driving around in the parking lot trying to find a parking space, and I got hit um by another vehicle, and it was a faculty member of the college that I was going to, and so naturally the insurance claim adjusters assumed that it was my fault because I'm a young college student and this is a respected professor. So clearly I must be in the wrong. I wasn't looking where I was going, whatever. I knew that they were wrong though. I knew that I had the right of way. She wasn't paying attention. And I spent the next two evenings in my dorm room drawing up a site plan of the parking lot, showing them where my car was before the accident, during it, and afterwards. And it, like, dawned on me that I was spending all of this time doing this for for nothing, basically, except to prove a point, whereas I was neglecting the biology homework that was due the yeah. next day. And it was kind of like this light bulb went off in my head that I couldn't see myself spending a career or a lifetime doing – This what I considered mundane work experience and this other thing that just kind of reintroduced itself back into my life. I found much more intriguing, much more engaging for me as a person. And it was then that I decided I'm going to make a change. And so I was fortunate that the school I was at had an architecture program that I was able to enroll in. So I didn't have to go through the, the ordeal of having to switch schools or anything like that. But it was really kind of a pivotal point in my life, not only from actually defining what I was going to end up doing with the rest of my life, but also finding my, my own voice and mm-hmm. being able to advocate for myself and, you know, recognize that it's OK to admit that something doesn't fit right. It doesn't feel right, even though everything around you might be telling you that this is the way
0: to go. There are so many powerful statements that she just made in that story. Um, The not wanting to admit to others, but ultimately to yourself is huge. And obviously, you know, I've, I've had my practice for, it's going to be five years in April. So you can only imagine all the people I've come in contact with and, and always keeping confidence, their stories and modifying them so that they're not known to people who hear them. But I can't tell you how many clients I've had who have gone into career fields very similar to what their parents do, which, by the way, they do that because aptitudes are genetic. And so it's not that often, it's not always that they're being pressured to do it, but it is part of what comes naturally to them. But they get in so deep, they can't get out. And I say can't get out, it's never too late. But they're so far in that they have to finish because they're three years into a majorly specialized advanced degree, such as medicine. And I always talk about the journey is long, and you have to be excited about what you're doing. Um, What's interesting, too, is that there is a correlation between architect medicine, and engineering. They're all spatial careers. So um, even though you had kind of considered the medical route, finding that thing that really rejuvenated you really was empowering Mm -hmm. for you. Absolutely. So kudos to you because let me just tell you that takes a lot of grit to go, okay, I'm going to change what I'm doing and I'm going to be honest with myself. Um, I hate when I work with clients who have gotten them so – themselves so far into it that they hate they're getting ready to graduate in a degree they never want to do. And so, I mean, that's that's a lot of, lot of pressure.
1: Well, and I think what was surprising to me is I really dreaded making the phone call back home mm-hmm. to tell my parents what I had decided or, you know, this epiphany that I had had. Because I really was, you know, apprehensive about their reaction that... They were going to be upset with me or um, see this change as, you know, an indicator of indecision and just not being able to be kind of a decisive, forward-thinking person. And it was really surprising to me that when I did make that phone call, they were totally supportive Mm -hmm. of me and it just kind of reaffirmed that I was doing what was right Mm -hmm. and that If you are truly following what you are meant to do, what your heart is telling you to do, then everything else
0: will just fall into place. Right. Absolutely. So you got your master's degree in architect. And then tell me what happened after graduation. So um, I went to school
1: in St. Louis, Missouri. And so that was a big change for me because I did my undergraduate work here in Texas. I went to Baylor. And then I went up to St. Louis for my master's degree, and that was the furthest I'd ever lived away from home.
0: Why did you select that school?
1: Well, um, when I decided to change my major when I was at Baylor, the architecture program that they had at the time, which unfortunately they don't offer anymore, mm-hmm. but it was a called a cooperative program with this institution. So I did three years of undergraduate work in Waco, and then I finished my senior year up in St. Louis, and then I was... Pending grades and a final um, critique of my projects, I would be offered um, to continue on in the master's program there. So it was a prearranged um, agreement that these two universities had with each other. And was it a one-year master or two-year? It was actually a three-and-a-half year, wow. so including the the senior year. Okay. Um, So I actually really kind of lucked out in being kind of at the right place at the right time when I decided to make this change. Um, But that took me up to St. Louis, which was the furthest I had ever lived away from home. And um, it was when I was in grad school, my mom actually passed away. Mm -hmm. And she passed away the summer in between um, my second to last year and my last year. And so I finished out school up there. But ultimately, I I felt like I needed to come back home. And so I ended up graduating and moving back home, and I actually really struggled to find a job. Mm. I, I graduated in 2003. It wasn't a terribly great time for architects, but it was also what what I never realized was how much the industry is about networking mm. and people that you know. And if you go to school in a region that you intend to work in it's a lot easier to make those connections because a professor knows this other person who works at this company and you know everybody kind of knows everybody else I was moving in back home but I was I had made all of those connections up in St. Louis so it was really hard for me to kind of get into the front door so to speak Mm -hmm. and that to me I think was another pivotal point in my life because I had Up until then, had everything relatively. Everything came to me pretty easily. I never really had to work terribly hard to achieve something. That's not to say I didn't do a lot of hard work, Mm -hmm. but I found when I did hard work, the opportunities were there. This is the one time that I really struggled with trying to be successful in what I was trying to do, and it wasn't for a lack of trying. It was just that it was the combination of just not a great economy at the time. And then I didn't know the right people to open the doors. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one of the things that I really uh, try to talk to anybody who comes to our office or um, comes to me for advice is you can never network, not network enough. Right. Because you never know who's going to know somebody else. And that connection can open a door for you, whether it's here in town or, you know, across Mm -hmm. the country. And not having the foresight to realize that that sort of leverage is what I was going to need to eventually get into the workforce, I think, was a real stumbling block at the beginning for me.
0: You know, and it's one thing I talk about with my clients, um, a couple of things. One, you know, I always say when you're starting to look at schools, although I don't get students into schools, I'm not an independent education consultant. I'd lovingly and affectionately say I don't care where you go to school To me, that doesn't matter, um, that you need to have the degree for what you want to do. But do they have a formalized internship program? It's always an important question. And what is the destination rate? So the percentage of students in what amount of time are employed in their field, the military or graduate school? And oftentimes we don't think about it. We go to a school, but are we going to stay in that town? And that is a really important point because – 90% 90% of all jobs are obtained through somebody you know. So think about that. I mean, you if you're applying online, you're doing it the hardest way possible. And so if you're going to go to school in one location and then you're not going to get out and work there, you, you perfectly articulated how challenging that is. And
1: it was quite – it wasn't um... – on purpose that I mm-hmm. went to school somewhere else and then moved back home if I hadn't had this life change happen right. I would have stayed up there I right. was perfectly happy up there I you know I had a I had built a life up there mm-hmm. but um ultimately I felt like family was more yeah. important and came home and then just had to realize that it was a it was a harder road for me to find a job I went probably about four months after graduating before I actually got a job. I ended up staying there for about two years um, and then started looking elsewhere just to to find a work experience that was more uh, rewarding for me and that was a better fit for me. Um, This, I think, was also one of... It was part of how I grew up myself and started to learn to have my own voice. Mm -hmm. That first job I had... Wasn't exactly the right fit for me, but it's not like I had just opportunities raining down from the ceiling. So I had to take what I was given and make do, but it wasn't the right fit for me. The work environment wasn't great, but I just kind of mustered along. And it wasn't until about two years later that I finally said, you know what, I deserve more. Mm -hmm. I deserve to be challenged in a way that I know I can be challenged and I can contribute more to both my industry, my profession, and just, you know, the actual projects I work on. And so I ended up being at the – finding through a friend, mm. you know, networking, mm-hmm. um, a job opportunity here in San Antonio. And I went and interviewed for it and got the job. And it, it's it's strange because I did have to struggle to establish myself here in town and then to ultimately find employment and then to make a change on the employment But as it turns out, I met my husband at that Mm. job. So um, you can say it worked out.
0: (laughs) Well, I think a struggle is an important part of the process. I think it gives you perspective and it gives you grace. And, um, you know, for somebody who has um, kind of fallen the steps and everything has gone the way it's supposed to, I love that you're being so vulnerable and talking about that because it is the reality. Students get out of school and then they can't find a job for whatever reason that can take a real toll um, on your ego. And getting that first job is just sometimes I'm like, just get your first job, get, you know, a stabilized (laughs) foot in the door, show that you can be there. And you were there for two years. That's huge. Um, Our millennials are kind of jumping between eight to 18 months. Mm -hmm. They're they're not staying. And so showing that commitment is huge. And ultimately, I mean, look now, I mean, you're incredibly well regarded in our San Antonio community. And I think that's just the gift of of going through those experiences. So tell me what a day in a life looks like for an architect. And of course, That's... it's not the same every day, right?
1: <laughs> that, if if only it were that easy to answer. Um, it, well, in a nutshell, it's nothing like what I thought it would be during school. Hmm. Um, architecture today is less and le- is becoming less and less more about actually doing design work, and a lot of it is more about interpersonal relationships and right. communicating with your clients and developing those um, camaraderies and, um, relationships. I keep coming back to that word because it, that ultimately is what it's all about. And I, I joke a lot with uh, folks that I talk to that if you got a degree in architecture as well as, um, psychiatry or something to kind of, um, support interpersonal communication between people, I mean, that would be kind of the ultimate Mm. combination because a lot of it is just about how to read the person sitting across the other side of the table. So much of what we do is not necessarily about executing a design, but convincing a client that this design satisfies the problem or the need that they have. And if you can't communicate that well to your client, they're not going to have any faith in your design as being successful for them. Um, So, it is interesting that um, in my career trajectory, it's become less and less about doing the project at hand and about managing the project as a whole. And so when I say that, for me, an an average day is fielding phone calls from clients, going to meetings, um kind of just developing more of the communication part of it and the oversight of the projects and we have folks in our office that actually you know still do the drafting and the drawing um but where I'm at in my career I'm not doing that mm-hmm. anymore
0: so I know from the aptitude tests that I give that uh vocabulary is down um it's kind of down across the country students are not reading we're they're not communicating How are you seeing this generation of workforce be able to do that interpersonal piece that you talk about?
1: It's a struggle. I mean, that to me is now that I'm able to sit on this side of the table and interview folks that are asking to come and work for us, I do see that it's a struggle to find those candidates that are articulate and can express their thoughts and communicate in a clear and um, concise way. And when we find those candidates that demonstrate that across the table, it's it's a light bulb in our head that, hey, that person's got what is so hard to be taught. Mm, They've right. got it naturally. We can teach how to put a building together, how to you know develop a wall section, how to detail a window jam. We can teach all of that. It is so much harder to teach how to – present yourself in front of a client, whether it be one person or I do a lot of school board presentations. So I'm up in a room that's got, you know, eight people on a dais looking at me and then possibly a hundred people behind me all listening to what I'm having to say. It's, It's really hard to maintain composure, keep your nerves in check, and be able to still communicate and defend sometimes what your project is doing or sometimes isn't doing. Mm, right. Um and so we really look for that a lot when we are interviewing uh, potential candidates for employment because if they've already got that natural ability to articulate themselves, it's a lot easier to teach them the rest of it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's I, I know there's a school district um in our area that actually eliminated speech. It's not a required course, which I think is really unfortunate because as you talk about it Everything in business is about relationships. People are going to do business with somebody because they trust you. You can develop an authentic um, connection and not being able to do that um, is really detrimental to you and to a company. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. There's also like a comfort level that clients want to have. And if you don't exude that comfortness, that comfortability across the table from them, they're not going to want to engage with you in this journey of a project. A project can last anywhere from, you know, design for some of our projects are on average a year, year and a half. And then you've got another, let's say, two years of construction. So you're looking at, you know, multi-year relationships with clients on one project and to have to sit in a room with somebody who just gives off a sense of nervousness or uncomfortability Nobody's going to want to do that. On a multi-million dollar
0: project. Well, that too. You want the confidence. (laughs) You want confidence when you're dealing with that, yes. That's great. So in high school, when students are considering this career field, um, what would you recommend, what courses would you recommend that they take to get exposure to it?
1: Um, A lot of high schools still offer drafting. So I would encourage uh, folks to get in there and see what a drafting course is like. There's also... Anything that you use your hands with to kind of manipulate a medium to express what is going on in your head. Um, I, I really enjoyed all of my art classes mm. when I was in high school and um, in college because it, it gives you the ability to kind of form what's, what's being thought of in your head in a physical expression. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of what architecture is. It's just in the built form in an inhabitable space.
0: It's really interesting because there's a theory, hollands Codes, which gives um, language to things that people are interested in. There are six different codes. And invariably, when I have someone who's artistic, they love art, they, their second code is investigative, which is solving a problem. Typically, my engineers, my architects, medicine, scientists. And 95% of the time, I always have the I and the A or the A and the I, the art of science. And so it's it's fascinating when you think about, okay, the drawing piece, you know, is an, another way, the art aspect of actually being part of the architect. Um, I will tell you one of the very, very first clients I ever worked with. Um, he was in Maryland and trying to figure out what he was going to do. And it came out architect. And his mother messaged me. I don't know, maybe the next day, day after, and then he had gone back into his room and what was all over his wall was, were designs of buildings that he had drawn and it never, he never, nobody had drawn the, drawn the correlation. Wow. <laughs> and that's what he's studying and is so happy. So paying attention to these little things. Mm-hmm. I know um, I talked about in the intro Legos when I'm in schools, um, as I try and explain some aptitudes like what is that word what does it mean i'll say how many of you play with legos and majority of the hands will normally go up a lot of them you know how many of you play minecraft a lot of them soccer will come up so as we were talking and i asked um robin i was like so did you play legos when you were little and tell me your uh, answer my answer is i still do (laughs) (laughs) my uh my kids and i um
1: really enjoy playing legos so um they're at that great age they're Five and seven. So they're really, they still want to hang out with mom Mm -hmm. and dad. And one of the things that we really enjoy is dumping out all the Legos on the floor and let's see what we can build. I mean, I remember, I have a lot of memories of myself growing up and um, developing these elaborate uh, houses and structures out of Legos. And, you know, there's a storyline that goes along with it because the little Lego person has a day and this is the kitchen and this is what they're making. And, you know, this this imaginative child play, which I think is so important, mm. is something that is really getting lost in today's kids. And it makes right. me actually kind of very sad for my kids as they're growing up and um, that It's a reality that they're not going, they potentially are not going to be able to have that free time to be able to have that imaginative play. And so we try pretty consciously to, you know, limit screen time, but also to just give open blocks of time where. Just play, do something, no rules, no rules, no no structure, just do it. And I think that's really important for number one, for kids to have a release. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pressure that kids have nowadays that I certainly didn't grow up with. And, you know, I, I kind of think back, what would it be like if I was in high school today? And I'm, you know, I'm petrified of that thought. Um, I'm so glad I'm not, but, Mm. um, but I have kids that are going to be. And so I think I have to really be cognizant of the fact that not all of their time can be structured and scheduled out and they need some time to just be a kid.
0: Mm-hmm. So Right. And research proves that how critical free play is. Yeah. Um, one thing I always like to talk about is salaries, right? That's why we go to college to get a sustainable career and hopefully not have debt or have a career that we can pay back debt and I always want clients going into or considering, um, obviously it's their choice, but I want them to look at the growth. Um, how fast is a career growing? So with architect, it's funny, it's actually um, it's growing faster. It's, it's kind of a gold star and it's green, meaning that typically it uh, is environmentally friendly, which a lot of my clients, my young adults care about. Um, Currently, we have in the U.S. um, projected growth of 12,000 jobs that are expected um, every year to be filled. And in Texas, it's 1,000 jobs. So um, they start out in around 48,000 for the U.S. and 47,000 for Texas. The average range is around 80,000, with the mid in Texas around 86,000 And then the high within the US is 138,000. And then in Texas, we're so blessed, um, 158,000 is the high. So great growth, especially when a majority of the people who are architects actually, 56% hold bachelor's degrees. Sometimes we think advanced degrees are required for engineering and architect fields and often that's not the case and there's about 19% who actually have masters degrees.
1: Well, what I will say on that is that um at least in the state of Texas the um the process to get registered and to officially call yourself an architect is um it's pretty laborious. So there's a lot of um folks out there who may have a um a design background or a design interest and but they don't have either the schooling or the internship or the exams under their belt. And you have to have kind of all three tun in order to officially call yourself an architect. Mm-hmm. And um, the way that the architecture registration boards and it varies state by state. So most of what I'm going to cite is relative to the state of Texas, the um, Texas board of architectural examiners, um, moderates this or regulates it, Um, you have to have a degree that's been certified by the National um, Architectural Accreditation Board. And you can go on their website and search for either a specific school, if you've got a school in mind, or a state. Perhaps you're not wanting to go to school in Texas. But I would encourage anybody who's got an interest in pursuing architecture post-high school, to go on there and look for schools that have these accredited programs because those programs are going to be recognized by the state in which they are going to want to pursue licensure. Um, The other thing that uh, architects are required to do is a certain number of hours of an internship program, and that internship program um, is divided into various different categories, kind of um, the overarching job of being an architect from design to, um, budgeting, construction, administration, programming, things of that nature. You have to hit a certain number of hours in each one of those categories. And then finally you have to sit for an exam and you have to pass the exam. And I think nowadays it's five exams, it's either five or seven. I think they just, um, changed the process. Um, when I took it, it was nine exams. Um, and you have to pass all of them at different times you take each one individually you don't sit for one day and take all of them um it's just it's a very um methodical process and so i think what we're finding nowadays is that more and more architects are having advanced degrees mm-hmm. because a lot of them myself included i'm i'm one of those folks the undergraduate program that i went to wasn't accredited Through this board. So when you go to, and that's not to say that you can't do that. I have a lot of friends who are currently architects who have undergraduate degrees in something that has nothing to do with architecture, business, art, whatever, English. Let me back up and say that if you get an undergraduate degree that isn't accredited, you have to get a master's degree that's accredited. That kind of is what is providing that solid foundation of an architectural education. There are programs within the state of Texas that offer accredited bachelor degrees. And so what I would encourage anybody who is dead set on being an architect, they know that that's what they want to do. They've kind of vetted out all of this potential self-doubt or uh, possibility of wanting to pursue another line of uh, pathway to go on there and research those schools and figure out which one of those is the best fit for them, because that's going to streamline The process to actually becoming a registered architect
0: and it'll be all in our programming notes but that's naab.org to find accredited schools so that's a a really important piece of the puzzle because you want to go to school and make sure that it's a program that you can actually go out and and work in
1: or that you're not having to add more time Mm -hmm. to pursuing another degree because more time is more money right You know, the other thing I would say, and I've found this more and more, the reality now that I'm in the workforce and being where I'm at in my company and my career, is that the name of the school doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it is your work experience. So for um, students that are just graduating college, having some sort of an internship to put on a resume is, I think, super critical Mm -hmm. because... For your average architectural company, they want folks who are going to come in and be able to jump immediately in the deep water and contribute towards the work that we're doing. Nobody ever really goes out to hire people when you're in a slow period. Mm. A lot of it is when you have demand and you need more people. So you need more productive people. Mm And so having the ability to demonstrate that you have knowledge of how an office works, of how a project goes together, you're able to work on a team, all of that are things that I look for when I'm interviewing candidates. That's not to say that somebody who's fresh out of school and doesn't have any work experience doesn't have um, potentially the right um, mix of traits to be a productive or contributing member of our firm, but it's going to take us a little bit longer to teach them how to become part of that production team whereas the person who's already had some work experience kind of is already going to know how teams work together. Mm -hmm. And do you hire interns? We do. Mm -hmm. Yeah we um, a a lot of it does depend on workload and productivity. If we have the ability to um, support interns we do. Um, My company we do um, the majority of our work is in educational architecture so aside from just building building or designing buildings and um, the physical aspect of architecture, there's a very social um, obligation that we feel towards contributing back to our community. And one of the things that is fundamental to the growth of community is their education and their school system. And so we really believe that it's important that your school environment is the best that it can be. I mean... I'm sure you know this, but there's tons of research out there that your school environment, your physical environment, has as much to do with your aptitude to engage and
0: retain stuff that you learn in school than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well. As we kind of come to the end, I always like to end on kind of three words or, or three thoughts yeah, of wisdom. Yeah, three <laughs> phrases, not three words. Three phrases. I was saying, do you have your three three words of wisdom? She's like, well, they're actual phrases. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's my literal person. <laughs> so tell me, tell me what you came up with. All right. Well, my first one was um, it's
1: okay to not know. It's okay mm-hmm. to not know where you're going. It's okay to not know the answer. It's okay to just. Not know, mm-hmm. and the that was something that I struggled with a lot because I felt like I always had to know, I had to have the answer when the question was asked. It's okay to not know it sometimes, but what I will say is, if you don't know it, you have an obligation to find out the answer. Mm-hmm. It's not okay to just not know and say, "Oh well," you it it goes into your continuing education as a person. If you don't know something. Find the answer out. But don't don't try to pretend
0: you don't know when you don't know. It's so funny because Ellie Maxwell, who was our previous guest, that was her number one word of wisdom. So no, was it? <laughs> the exact same thing. <laughs> that's great. And you two don't know each other, so that's even more awesome. <laughs> that's funny.
1: My second one was um, don't ever apologize for being yourself. Mm, I love that. I think there is every person is unique and every person has – a way to contribute towards society, towards your family, your community. And you should never have to apologize for the way that you think about things, the way that you're wired, how you do things. Um, that's not to say that we all can't improve on certain aspects, but you should never have to apologize for who you are. Beautiful. And then my last one was do what you love. hmm Because you're going to be doing it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so – and that to me was kind of – it kind of goes back to that initial story of when I changed um, my degree. um, I couldn't see myself doing, you know, biology and medical-related stuff for the rest of my life. Now, a lot of people can and a lot of people do it very well, but it just wasn't me. And so um, I think life is going to be hard regardless Why should your career not be something that you actually – you're not going to love it all the time. Right. But it should be something that gives you a sense of self-satisfaction and that you're
0: proud of. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And, you know, I I talk about this often. Um, You know, I don't think we're giving our young adults the grace to get to explore anymore. And um, to have it all figured out at 14, 15, 16 is completely and totally unrealistic. And there are ways to learn and get some language to who you are and what you like and what you're great at. There's actual formal career theories that help that. And so I love you kind of said that at the beginning that it's okay not to know, but ask the questions. And mm-hmm. it's why I'm so passionate about what I do and, and spreading the word of, of everyone has a different pathway and a different journey and there's no right or wrongs. Um, it, but it is, it's the self advocating and, asking the questions and being curious and not settling because, you know, our career, we spend the majority of our time every day at work. And are you going to always love it? Absolutely not. But when you keep fighting for it and keep being curious, when you get there, it is the greatest reward. So.
1: Well, and I think kids nowadays, there's a lot more pressure. Yes. But there's so many more opportunities too. Right. And so I really think kind of being optimistic about that and not being scared about, and I know I'm speaking now as a mother, mm-hmm. <laughs> but not being scared about what my kids are going to be exposed to, but being excited about what they're going to be exposed mm-hmm. to, I think is really great. I have the, um, the ability and the, you know, the benefit now of seeing what's going on in our schools today. Right. A lot of people don't because right. they only get to see what their, their kids are telling them about what's happening. Mm-hmm. But because of the work I do, I get to see it firsthand. And it makes me that much more excited for when my kids are going to be in those stages of life that they're going to be able to really capitalize on, you know, their strengths, their interests, and potentially not have to hope that they have that event of self-epiphany that I had. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a really pivotal time nowadays for kids. And, um, I feel like I didn't talk a lot about architecture in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the other thing that I would say, and I know you only said three words or phrases, but if I were to say a fourth, cause I, I was just thinking about it now, but a lot of times when I talk to students or, um, folks in mentor programs, i you know, I I always say you have to advocate for yourself. Nobody is going to speak mm-hmm. loud, more loudly for you than yourself. Right. And if you don't have that self-confidence to demand what is right for you as a person or to say, I can contribute more, I can do more, I can be more, then um, nobody else is going to do that for
0: you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's part of becoming an adult. Right. It's part of raising your children from being a child to being an adult. Um, and that, that's the ultimate goal. And, and I it's course selection time right now. And we sat down with our daughter last night, and she's going to be a senior next year. I can't even believe it. <laughs> and she was like, you know, Mom, you know, she took a bunch of classes so she'd have off periods. And she was like, you know, I really want to take astronomy. And I'm like, she's much more the Earth, the ocean kind of person. I'm like, well, you haven't really talked about the stars and the planets. She's like, oh, but I'm just fascinated. I said, then take it. She was like, well, what about psychology? You know, I'm really curious about how things work and why people think. And I said, then take it. I mean, that take courses that you want to talk about
1: when Expose the class yourself. is over. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. You never know where the path is going to lead. And all of those little opportunities really gives you insight into something that you didn't even maybe know was there. So.
1: Well, the course
0: that benefited me the
1: most in high school, will you believe it, is typing. <laughs> It was an elective. I had to fill a spot and there weren't that many classes that had seats available and typing
0: was it. And oh my God, it's paid back I dividends. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, thank you, Robin, so much. Yeah, I really I really appreciate you taking time and saying yes to come and, and speak to everyone. And um, um, the notes will be up on the podcast, so I will put some of the URLs on there and uh, if Robin's gracious to give us her email address, I know that she, she would be happy to answer questions and um continue to sign up and listen. We will be releasing new two new podcasts every month um we're excited about that we're having great feedback. We have more people saying yes than ever before. We have a CEO of an oil and gas company who's going to be here next month and just continuing to add really great individuals who are willing to share their story. So you can learn more at readerconsulting.com and hope everyone has a great week and you proceed with confidence. Thank you for listening to What's Your Career Story. If you'd like early access to episodes, you can join us at whatsyourcareerstory.com. If you'd like to learn about career paths, sign up for our monthly newsletter, which is also available at whatsyourcareerstory.com.